Hello and welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan. Today's guest is Korean-Australian adoptee Ra Chapman, a writer, actor and dramaturg. She has strong ties with the adoption community and works closely with Asian-Australian and diverse artists. Ra is one of those people who has been on our list of guests to invite for a long time, but we were just waiting for the right moment. And here it is, Ra's debut play, K-Box, which won the 2021 Patrick White Playwright Award, will premiere at the Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne, Australia next month on the 2nd of September. K-Box is a surreal comedy with an Australian Korean adoptee main character named Lucy. And I probably don't need to tell you that there has never been a play with an Australian Korean adoptee main character until now. Lucy has just quit her job dumped her boyfriend and turned up on her adoptive parents' doorstep needing somewhere to crash. She's depressed, she's a mess, and her parents, George and Shirley, don't know what to do with her. And then, when a K-pop star mysteriously enters Lucy's life and starts asking destabilizing questions about her Korean roots, things start to unravel within the family unit. Ryan and I have had the pleasure of reading the script and we can tell you that it's brilliantly crafted with nuance and complexity and it is also very funny. In this episode, Ra talks about the inspiration for K-Box as well as her transition from acting to writing. Then Ra shares her experience as an Asian Australian actor and writer and her thoughts on diversity and representation in the Australian art scene. Plus, Ryan and I make our acting debut reading a short excerpt from K-Box, which was easily the highlight of my week. We also learn some industry lingo, such as meat puppet, and much more. Well, thanks, Ra. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, we kind of go... We go way back, I guess. Like, we first met, like, like, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, I feel like at least, or maybe just feels like a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually so keen to hear how you guys met. I don't even know. Do you know, Hannah, exactly how we met? So when I came back to Melbourne after my first trip to Korea, I was kind of like volunteering with um, adoptee teenagers of the Korean ad- adoptive families group that's right and then I think around the same time you also kind of wanted to like get involved and at that at that time there was no transracial uh adult adoptee organization in Melbourne Mm. so kind of the only way to I don't know get involved in adoptee community was through the families group really at that at that specific time yeah yeah we met that way I think Look, I my memory is like a sieve also because I put it down to adoption and trauma and stuff. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I was like, I don't remember anything. I don't remember details or anything. So this this interview is going to be really interesting because I I just forget big chunks. And someone's like, that's not how it happened, Ran. I was like, I can't remember. This is what I remember. So that's it. But now you've said it, I do remember. Actually, that was a really interesting time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Think I'd met my birth father, yeah, maybe for the first time, and then was doing that, or maybe it was just before I met my birth father. I can't mm. remember, <laughs> but it was all around that. 
When was your reunion? Do you remember the year? No, but I was, oh, no, I don't want to say how old I am. No, but it was like, ten, it was, it was over 10 years ago. Yeah. We must've done our reunions around the same time. Yeah. Cause mine was 2010. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, memories. Mm. I remember we used to go to Smith street and like get dinner. This is like way back before it was named like the, the world's like coolest street or whatever. <laughs> um, it was, yeah. yeah, it was a little bit feral. No, not feral, eclectic. I really like it. Still is eclectic, but Smith Street is a little bit trendy now. And, you know, yes. it's like Gertrude Street, the Paris end of Smith Street. It wasn't always that way, was it, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> there, was, look, there was always good food. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, okay, so, yeah, that was then. And now you are an award-winning playwright and you have your debut play coming out at Melbourne's Malthouse Theatre in September. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, look, it is amazing. Uh, Like sounding like it's not, it's really amazing and it's, I'm really excited to have people finally see it. But, you know, I started writing it six years ago. So I have, it's, you know, it's a very interesting thing to have work on and that's based on um, a very particular experience and a particular time of your life come out six years later. So that's its own whole thing. So it had already been postponed due to COVID, but even then it was about four years after you started. Wow. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So I have mixed feelings about it, to be honest, but I think, look, I think writers, artists, whatever you are, you know, you always have a very, um, yeah, like the relationship with how you feel about your work at different times is always, you know, (laughs) it's always a journey. So I think that's just part of the process too. Yeah. Mm. so the this the play season was postponed for like two whole years because of covid yeah and this was like your yeah debut play I don't know was it was that hard to deal with or yeah look it was but there was a part of me that was a little bit relieved too kind of linked to what I was just talking about before um so there's relief it was very again, mixed feelings, but it was hard because, you know, you work so hard on something and, you know, I, you know, had been writing then, as we're saying, for four, for four kind of years. So it felt like it was long overdue. People were like, what are you doing? You're not really acting anymore. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, I was writing. I was starting to write professionally, but nothing that I had written had come out into the world. <laughs> Just like, what are you doing with your life? Um, so, you know, don't, in you, that don't way, you love that question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know constantly. So that's my answer all the time. But guess what I'm saying is that it was such a difficult time for everyone around the world, but, you know, specifically talking about artists. And so I felt like, you know, moving into writing at least during that time, I was able to write other things and things like that and a lot of my active friends and a lot of other friends that were getting um, money and income from different means as an artist was so, the impact was so great on them that I felt 
that I couldn't complain or that, you know, there was other things I could still work on to kind of motivate me because it was such a hard time, like, to keep people's spirits up and to earn money. So I guess, you know, just everything that was going on in the world and with friends and kind of put everything into perspective for me with the play. So I was able to accept that because I felt lucky for other things that were going on in my life. Yeah. Mm. So obviously this has been something that's been in the works for a long time, as you just said, and we were just wondering what were some of the inspirations behind K-Box? Oh, okay. So many things. What were they? I mean, obviously my adoption. (laughs) Um, Look, I guess, you know, you know, the conversation about making work from lived experience is a really interesting one. And I won't go too much into that because that's its own whole thing. But I guess it is fictional. It isn't based on the facts um, and and the specific events of my own adoption. Um, So I did take it away from myself in a lot of ways. and also because I, the thing I wanted to explore more was an intangible feeling and, like, where I was at in my life, not just to do with adoption but to do with my work, my relationship to being an actor, everything like that, even though that's not in the play, in regards to what I was trying to express and explore in the feeling of the play and that sense of the life you've built for yourself, the things you were told were true, you get to a stage of your life where you go, I don't know if that's true anymore or if it ever was true or I was going about this thinking I was doing the right thing but then things start to happen in your life and you feel basically disillusioned or it's like the rug being pulled out from under you. So it was written at a time where there was stuff happening with my adoption journey, there was stuff happening with me being an actor and like feeling disillusioned with that. So really the play is is kind of like Mm. fueled by a lot of rage and a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, so it's about adoption, but it's a lot of things and, you know, it's a lot of other people's adoption, you know, friends and just people I met. Not their adoption stories, but a lot of the essence of what we're trying to grapple with is is kind of what's at the heart of the play. Yeah. I think that's so interesting that you also, like, drew on um, your transition from being mainly an actor to to now a writer but anyway we'll hopefully get Mm. to that later I really love you love that answer too because you're kind of getting to the to the heart of like like the affect that we live with as opposed to the like specific details of particular stories or you know yeah I feel like hearing hearing your answer is also like added a layer of complexity like having having read your script too, um, because like affect is such a big part of, of the play, I think. And even like my experience, just reading it, let alone seeing it. Mm. Yeah. And nothing exists in isolation. Like it can't. And that's why those didactic conversations about adoption and the adoption experience or whatever that is, is it erases and um, the nuance and the complexity and trying to capture that is, I guess, in my work I always strive to do, which is it's like the muddiness, the slipperiness of experience is something that is an elusive thing as a writer because you're trying to do so, you know, bring so much clarity and specificity, but at the same time you don't want to dumb it down and you want to try, you know, like so I guess that's always the wrestle I think in 
writing and in this journey as well as an adoptee is like, you know, really doing justice to, um, you know, yeah, not being reductive about the experience and trying to share that with other people that haven't gone through it or don't understand is kind of like, it's always to me like, how do I do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm always like trying to distill, um, yeah. Did you, I mean, I know you've just said that you were, um, you know, really trying to convey a lot of the affect and your, um, say, emotional experiences around not just adoption but other things in your life. But, like, did you also, I feel like having read the play, you also kind of, like, pose quite specific questions, like challenging questions to both adoptive parents and, and transracial adoptees. Was that intentional and... Did you have like an ideal audience in mind while you were mm. writing? It was intentional. I mean, because it's that thing about, you know, you can say this play isn't really about adoption. It's not really about family. It's not really about adoptive parents, but it is, <laughs> you know. I don't, it's hard because you don't want that to dominate the discourse, but of course it's a massive part of it. And I think at the time, you know, I was... Uh, you know, the things that um, the protagonist kind of goes through and the questions raised in the play were were things that I was wrestling with. Um, and also, you know, it's the things, even if it's not happening in your life or to you at the moment, there's, you know, the what-ifs um, are always there and they're always percolating around and you talk to another adoptee or, or even someone that's not adopted and, all these thoughts and feelings and questions are kind of like like a maelstrom in your body and your mind. And so even if, like, talking specifically about my family and, and my relationship with them, even if those things weren't actually or directly happening that way in my family, I still feel those kind of questions and uncertainties uh, were definitely things like going on in my mind and were around me and reconnecting with my adoptive father um, and that long journey over the last 10 years, which still keeps going on and all those questions. I mean, they really made me think about my relationship with my adoptive parents and so brought up a lot of what-ifs for that as well, like things that have happened, things that haven't happened, things that could happen, you know. So I was really just uh, going quite down a rabbit hole exploring a lot of the what-ifs around adoption. Um, and uh, what was the second part of your question, Hannah? Um, did you have an ideal audience in mind? Mm. So, yeah, look, it's, you know, people like I want to say I make work just for adoptees or like, you know what I mean, nobody else because that's what we need and we do need that but this work isn't just for adoptees because of the nature of the experiences um, and the lens on it. It was really like, in some ways, it's a letter to not only adoptive parents and not only people that work in the adopt, um, adoption sphere, but also um, for the wider community who doesn't really uh, doesn't really understand, as I was saying before, the complexity of that journey um and the relationship to being adopted um and I kind of wanted to really make it personal and I kind of wanted to make it hopefully really funny but then like with a lot of gut punches um so yeah look I was making it to be honest for a wide audience 
Mm. You know, actually, this is so random, but I remember a conversation that we would have had like eight, nine, ten years ago. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We can delete this, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I... It's not like I have a perfect memory of in general, but it's like sometimes like within conversations, I'll remember like one or two lines for some reason, like, yeah, years later. And, um, and we were talking about how because of like your work as an actor and a performer, because of that, perspective and experience it's it's like I think it gives you specific insight in a way into the say emotional experience of 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 adoption and reunion and you you bring that kind of like acting experience and that um that specific kind of like bodily and like emotional uh, experience of, of being an adoptee like to the script. Does that make any sense? I feel like I can feel that. Yeah, I love that. I love that you, yeah. Yeah, I love that you say that because I guess one of the things like moving from acting into writing is also, look, I did writing at uni, but then I went into, I thought I went to marketing for a little bit and then I went into acting um, for, a, I went for a long time and then moved into writing. But I think, you know, I moved quite like, look, it felt like hard and difficult and like ages, but really um, transitioning from being a working gigging actor into a working gigging writer in a lot of respects has been a quite a quick journey um, for me. And I think as you're saying, it's because of like reading scripts for nearly two decades and like going and as a, not only as an actor and as a human going, Oh, I don't feel, you know, and, and as a, diverse actor which has its own (laughs) its own thing but you know I was always trying to mine these scripts and um you know for truth and I you know and specificity and representation but also what it helped me do is is you know understand structure and all these things but also I try to inject into my work things that I've always found missing which is missing from particular work let's say because a lot of people do do it really well but the thing i I hope I bring is like an emotional, like everything I write, I hope vibrates with an emotionality um, and it comes like it's very inside out. And so I just, you know, people use very different terms. What I do, purge, I do vomit onto a page and then I'm a big editor. I re-edit, I edit, I edit, I edit, I edit because I like to just have a very instinctive kind of emotional um, kind of pouring out of rage, happiness, whatever that is, of kind of what I want the thing to feel like and then I really like to shape it and that's kind of my process. But, yeah, I do, I think my skills are in, in more emotional and then I just really work hard and, you know, get my skills up in regards to the editing. But I love the editing because I think it's such a journey as I was saying before, about how to be specific with a intangible, indescribable feeling and sensation and to try to get that on the page so that mm. sometimes hundreds of different people, like if it's a TV series, like, the, you know, the director, the producer, the sound, you know, the 
music supervisor, the, all these people have to kind of really understand what that is. And so, yeah, I do like to go for the emotional, but I, I also enjoy, you know, trying to get the clarity on something that's impossible <laughs> to get mm. clarity on. Mm. I'm wondering if we should move to an excerpt to like really get that sense that, you know, we've just been describing just like obviously just a tiny little taste of it. Mm. How do we feel about that? <laughs> Except of K-box. Have you got your acting game on, guys? <laughs> no, we need some like just one or two quick basic tips. Yeah, hit us Oh, with and you tips. need to cast us too. <laughs> oh, I will cast you. My tip though is just... Do anything with conviction. Okay. Uh, go big, go bold, make a choice, oh, shit. and people just think it's intentional. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and also my tip is know the genre. This is a comedy. I would just say hit it hard. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. Um, and I would cast... You, Ryan, as George, the dad, and I would cast you, Hannah, as Shirley, the mum. Oh, shit. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, the adoptee is the easiest one. No. <laughs> no okay. All right. Okay. If we have time, we could also change the roles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe, maybe just like super quick. Do you mind giving like a really brief, like, what is this scene? Who are the characters mm. before we launch in? Oh my God. What is this scene? God, I said I wrote it six years ago. I don't know what's going on here. I'll do my best. Um, this scene is around the midpoint of the play. Oh my God, but this is not helping. <laughs> I'm a writer. I talk about midpoints. So just so you know, that's all. Um, so Lucy basically is, uh, won't give too much away, but has met this um, K-pop superstar recently retired. But basically, essentially, he's an Asian man, of course. He's a Korean man. And so Lucy's really into him and George and Shirley have met him. And so this conversation is about uh, when parents um, start asking you questions about your romantic life um, and it goes further from romantic life into other territory, which um, you'll hear about shortly. <laughs> Okay, so <clears throat> I'm George, the dad. Ra is Lucy, the protagonist, Korean adoptee. And Hannah is <laughs> unexpectedly thrown with the role of Shirley, the mom. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so it must be said, which I don't know if it's obvious or not, but George, Ryan is a white dad and Shirley, Hannah, is a white mum, white British mum. Yeah. And Lucy okay. is a Korean adoptee. <laughs> All right. Okay. We can go in. <laughs> I'm kind of excited, actually. And action. It is interesting, though, Lou. You've never shown any interest in Korean men before. What? Yes. Yeah, see, Kim is the first Korean man you've dated, isn't he? How would you? Why are we even talking about this? Have you been with a Korean man before, or someone of Asian descent, or anyone who's not Australian, for that matter? You can't ask that. I can't believe you're asking me. Why? That. 
Yeah. Why can't we ask that? You just can't. You just don't. Why am I? I am not having this conversation with either of you. Lucy, don't make out like we are saying something offensive. We're just pointing out that you've never dated any Korean men. You have a type. You like hairy men with big noses, like your father, like Simon. I, I don't have a big nose. Like Matthew Elliott. I did not go out with Maddie Elliott. We're just making an observation. This is new territory for you. Well, maybe I've changed or maybe I've always been attracted to Asian men and just didn't realise or maybe I've never dated anyone Asian because I never knew anyone Asian. It's not like there were many Asian men in Tallarada to... Stop saying that. There wasn't. Name one Asian guy stop, at my... Stop saying Asian like that. What? You keep saying that word, Asian. Stop saying Asian in that way. It's not nice. Why can't I say Asian? Lucy, you're being crass and antagonistic and I don't like it. <laughs> Ryan is like losing it right now. <laughs> Was that fun? Did you have fun? <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> to you. <laughs> you, I think we're going to get rid of more Davey, who's playing the mum, and just put you in a blender. <laughs> you're going to dominate. You're going to kill this. <laughs> definitely get the um the humor and the like punchiness the tempo and i feel like even in that like whatever three minute i think you said it was um session i feel like just in that conversation you really get to like get a feel for the characters too so thank you for letting us um Mm, letting us read this and thank you for directing us (laughs) yes debut that was that this is the first everyone Hasn't even started on stages yet. They're not even rehearsing till Monday morning and you're already taking their role. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that leads really nicely to our next question, which is, um, have like, has your own Australian family and friends read the script or attended kind of workshop performances, if, if that's something you do? I guess we're curious about how you think they're going to receive receive the play or how, how they have received it they've already you know they have not received the play yet <laughs> so um a lie the an excerpt was read it wasn't this one um excerpt it was it was um another another scene a climax um scene at the wheeler center um because i did a fellowship there lots of years ago now um and we had a little reading at the end um, of my work and some of the other great um, writers. And mostly, I think I was the only playwright, though. Everyone else was were real writers. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but I mean, like, more literary and, you know, my stuff's more about rhythm and emotion, as I said. Um, and so a lot of great poets and, you know, um, prose writers. And so we had a little thing where everyone read out their work or got other people too. And so my parents weren't there though, um, but a few of my fair, um, sorry, friends were. And so there's been a few people that have heard it, but my family haven't. And so that's the only other public kind of foray um, for K-Box. So how do I think they'll take it? 
I have no idea. Like I'm like, uh, I'm like I keep I'm prepping them. Like always, I'm prepping them even now. I'm like, so mum, dad, you know, it's fictional. Um, <laughs> it's not based on you. I know there's a little some little things that might might be based on you because it's fun and like you're my parents, so it's you know really easy to take from your real life and chuck it in something funny little quirks. Um, but really, it's not not based on my parents so but you know it's hard like I'm their daughter I'm adopted I'm writing about an adopted you know so there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels so I know even though I say all that and we all know you can't still help but feel like they're only human that it's about them so look in that way yeah of course I do worry because I'm like it's not you but it's still their daughter writing something about families that might be quite confronting to them so look I don't know how they're going to respond I think they're going to be emotional whatever the response is um I hope you know <laughs> I hope they talk to me after the <laughs> No, they will. Um, I'll get back to you in that um, once I've seen the play. If I'm not talking to them, no, they they will they will talk to me. And I hope they, um, you know, because there's a lot of beautiful things in the play. I hope anyway people find that about that bond, that particular bond, and um, the desire for everyone to really kind of restore that. And by I feel like when you try to hang on to something too tight or ignore something else because you want to keep something, that's actually what the play also is more about is that, you know, it's kind of out of fear or kind of out of like we don't like change and stuff like that, that that I feel like people push other people away or hang on too tight or whatever that looks like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, I guess when you were workshopping the the script as it was coming along did people make any suggestions or like anything like that to to kind of go into areas that you felt were off limits and and you know just just interested if there were particular vignettes or something that you were playing with but then felt like that is maybe was there anything that was off limits basically <laughs> no there wasn't and I think that's why as I said up like I look back and I I'm like I don't know if I want to see this play. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I was very, uh, you know, and also I was younger and I was more like, fuck everyone. Um, <laughs> in a frame of mind now, I'm like, I, I don't have energy to be that angry at people. Life <laughs> <So laughs> and stuff like that. So I think it's, um, <laughs> what was your question? If there was anything like off limits. Oh, off limits. No, no. Um, no, there were things that I was even at the time kind of concerned about that it was too raw. So, of course, mm. as I said, voice editing and stuff like that, you know, but it is that especially with this particular play, it's like having Lucy, our protagonist, Karina Dopti, being able to kind of, you know, be uncertain and, and inarticulate about what's going on because it's the first time they're really thinking about it while also keeping some sort of clarity you know, so the audience doesn't just go, what is she talking about? Just like mm. um, trauma or whatever. But to answer your question, Ryan, in regards to how I workshopped and stuff, for K-Box, because it was at a time in my life when I was pretty internal and there was other stuff, as I said, going on in my career, there wasn't much workshopping. It was it was kind of like a purging out of um, something 
inside me using real and I think this is great using actually the adoption thing as a vessel instead of the other way around you know how sometimes mm. I was like you know the adoption thing was the one thing I could specify and like focus in on um yeah so I, it wasn't there wasn't a process of great workshopping with other actors and writers and whatever like with some of my other work which I really like to be collaborative on this particular play and also being my first play was pretty solo, but I will say that the Malt House, um, doing a Malt House plug here, uh, for the Malt House, where it's going to be on at. Um, honestly, if it wasn't for Mark Pritchard, who was a dramaturg there and now is the director of new work and still is there, he really kind of championed my work and I hadn't written anything else professionally. And so I think without someone we all need champions without someone believing in me I probably wouldn't have gone as far with it and so we he helped me with you know we did some whiteboarding and some structure things because all of it kind of was there but it didn't have a form so he really helped me kind of shape it and like discard stuff add some other stuff get that balance yeah so it struck me when I was reading it um like, I, I found, like, you know, I don't know, 99% of it, like, quite relatable, right? But, um, you know, in my life, I haven't had many kind of, like, really raw, really direct, um, confrontational kind of conversations, like, say, with, with my adoptive family, right? Like, I, I mean, we've had conversations, but kind of, like, just very, you know, like, delicately and, um, yeah. And I was just wondering, like, whether you have had some like direct conversations in your mm. own life that you could draw from <laughs> or whether it was kind of like a little bit of like almost like fantasy building and like cathartic to, to write the conversations that maybe it would be super uncomfortable but like, you know, potentially really healing, you know. I, th I think like maybe in real life like often adoptees or no, I, I, I'm not going to do that but <laughs> for myself, there's a fear of like losing people if you go too far or just, you know, say whatever. Like you have to have an a really high level of like trust and security mm. there to be able to have like deep yeah. conversations like that. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And I know, you know, that's the interesting thing because I guess the short, the short answer first is that no, I haven't done that with my parents and do I want to do that and do I even and this play explores it do I even like things that you vomit out in the moment like there's a part of you believes it and there's other parts that don't like there's no kind of I was about to say there's no real truth and I don't actually believe that I feel like there's multiple truths that's probably a better way to put it like there's a truth of that moment there's a truth of another moment how you feel there's a truth mm. of so I feel like this play is very intensely um kind of going towards a particular truth that this um, young woman's going through and in regards to if I've like had that conversation with my adoptive parents no and that's also why I'm saying it might be very confronting because they might watch it go do you want is that what you think do you want to have this conversation and a part of me is like yes I do but a part of me is like no not really I'm over it or you know like mm. depending on where you are at on the day you know mm. or whatever that is it changes so I don't think I think what I wrote is the truth but I feel like 
it's a very particular truth for that character at the moment and whether or not I have done that um, or a similar conversation with my um, adoptive parents, no. But I will say, and this is why going to writing, being therapy and whether that's healthy or not, same with acting, but I will say, share, um, and I hope my sister doesn't mind me sharing this, but it is interesting because having written that thing that I'm, I don't want to say to my parents and part of me in certain states believes and part doesn't and, you know, just that whole wrestle depending on where you are, the thing that it did do is though because I wrote it and I, and I got it out on the page and, you know, um, I ended up having after I wrote it, dinner with my sister when she came to Melbourne um, and we had this great dinner and I actually started expressing a few of those things which I never have done before and I never probably would have if I hadn't started to kind of do that. It's not wish fulfilment but I know what you mean, Hannah, like and a lot of fiction does that. It's writing out alternate things that maybe in real life you wouldn't have the guts to say or, you know, you're too scared to say whatever that is. So, it actually, I think, helped me talk to my sister and say a few of these things. And it, we both ended up crying. We were in South Bank at a restaurant and it started off really nice and fun and we're sharing and I started talking about adoption. She's like, I understand. And then I started sharing more stuff and I could see her whole face change and, like, I started to go red. I started to feel, like, under pressure and, you know, when you, like, overheat and you have an out-of-body experience and, like, then she started crying and then I started crying and it was, it was very difficult for both of us because I had voiced a few things about how I felt or, like, at certain times and now and whatever that is. Um, so I don't think that would have happened if I didn't write the play in some way. So it did end up, uh, yeah, mm. in retrospect, it, looked, it did help me open up to my sister in a way that I had never done before. Mm. Yeah. So your non-adopted mm. sister. My non-adopted sister, yeah. <laughs> I just love the way, though, I feel like, again, it's a very, like, you bring your actor experience to, like, when you're looking at, like, like certain lines and, like, intentions behind lines and, like, multiple truths in, like, different moments. Yeah, I just think, I don't, all, I don't know, maybe all playwrights do that, but I, yeah. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yes, no, absolutely. <laughs> We're also curious about the casting of the lead actor, the uh, like Korean adoptee character. Mm. Is she also like a, a transracial adoptee or if not, was there like a big education piece about like the adoption mm. experience that she needed to go through? Or? Yeah, look, the casting and, and we won't go into Kim Han casting because that's a whole, <laughs> so we need a whole podcast about Kim Han. Spoiler alert, the K-pop star. Um, casting for Lucy, the Korean adoptee, there was a lot of interesting conversations being had. Um, and, you know, as an actor working in the industry too, I'm involved in and I have, um, as in being hired as an actor, been through those processes and also now creating my own stuff and material and casting people. I can kind of see it from both sides. But... We had a lot of conversations about that and, you know, the whole thing with authentic casting and what does that mean and, you know, are there blanket rules or, like, are there certain situations? And I guess everyone has a, 
a different kind of opinion um, on it, but I guess I can talk about mine because I was the really one that led Malt House and made the choice in the end. Um, so Susanna is not Korean and A, she's not Korean and B, she's not an adoptee. And mm -hmm. we did look at Korean actors and we did look at adopted adoptee act actors. Mm. Firstly, <laughs> very few amount of uh, Korean actors in that mm. age range. Secondly, very few adoptee actors in that age range. <laughs> so, you know, it's so already the pool because of just the nature of our society and also like who we give roles to and so who's who's got that experience and even is an actor is another conversation. But so that's a small pool to start with. Um, and also, and I won't talk for other actors, but I know like playing roles close to my experience, you know, some people want to do that, some people don't. So, you know, there's mm. so many conversations going on around this so for me I was like I, she doesn't need to be an adoptee to play an adoptee um and the second reason the second thing I was thinking is she doesn't need to be Korean um heritage to play a Korean adoptee particularly for this story so there could be another um, role for a Korean adoptee that explores quite different things about connecting with their culture and their language and their roots and family where I actually think would probably be I would probably go no it needs to be someone with Korean heritage but I think I think it's a case by case and with this play and this character the thing that was most important to me it was about a woman who was very estranged from her Asian heritage, from mm -hmm. this adopted from Korea, and that also, I feel, I feel uncomfortable saying this, but it's because it's so fraught, but that she passes as white, and I don't mean appearance, I mean the way she, her mannerisms, the way she moves through the world, because I feel like the whole thing with an adoptee experience and the thing I was really uh, exploring was how whitewashed you are. <laughs> so there was a lot of great Asian-Australian actors but they didn't have an affect to them, which I think is really important for this character. This character has been whitewashed. She's, like, grown up in a country town. She's Aussie. She knows how to do the things that you need to do to pass as white. She knows how to blend in because growing up in a white family, that's what we're saying, that's what she's learned. And so for me, the actress needed to really be able to hold that space of whiteness mm. and be able to be estranged from their heritage, cultural heritage. So, yeah, so those were the nature of the conversations we had about what is this particular journey and what is essential for this actor to be able to bring to the role to do an authentic job of what we're trying to represent. Mm, so interesting. Mm, and it's, look, and look, if we, if it was done, you know, if we put this on in two years' time, the conversations would have changed again. And I might be saying, no, we definitely need a Korean actor. Actually, maybe we definitely need a Korean adoptee because I feel like with this industry and with this world, conversations move fast and, you know, it's kind of you always have to assess as you go along, like what you feel comfortable with, what you can live with, what information you have. Um, yeah. We were also curious, um, I don't know if this is like like a, a separate podcast episode also, but could you share like a little bit about 
your experience of being um, a female Asian actor in Australia? Yeah. Look, where to start? (laughs) (laughs) My experience and how I feel. Look, it's, you know, as I said before, I really moved out of acting. Look, I still act um, in certain things and, um, look, when I say that, it sounds like I'm super in demand, like everyone's just knocking down the door and I'm just saying no. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, still like, you know, with the whole diversity push, people go, it's such a good time to be Asian or it's such a good time to be whatever. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. uh, Yeah, that's its own own podcast. But, um, look, it's there are more opportunities. The nature of those opportunities are a lot of the time still very problematic and fraught and mm. you're talking about labour and, like, cultural labour and, like, you know, people doing initiatives and things but without the resources and the knowledge and the skills and the information to actually back it up and you end up um, compromised. I guess is what I'd say. So my experience as a female Asian actor, yeah, look, it's tricky. I mean, it starts, you know, the makeup chair being having a- Asian eyes, Asian face, that can be its own really um, unsettling experience, especially when your face, your body is really what's displayed, your voice, your face, your body as an actor and a performer. So, you know, if whoever's doing your makeup doesn't know how to do an Asian face or isn't actually sensitive to that um, or conversations about that, to like getting on sets where it's like all white crew, all white cast, which is becoming less and less but still majority white, to reading scripts that you find offensive or that are problematic or that, you know, um, aren't well-rounded. So, you know, I guess the process in every step, there's a lot that people don't realise that, you know, POC actors or diverse actors um, have to really manage. So you're doing the work and then you're also doing the other work (laughs) just to keep Mm. yourself, like, focused and, you know, delivering and, you know, quality performances and not letting other things kind of derail you. So I guess my, I'm saying my experience has been that it's a lot of hard work, that, it, you know, people talk about resilience and stuff and that's, you know, the acting and this industry is quite tough anyway, um, but I think the resilience and um, also creating boundaries for yourself um, and what you will and won't put up with is something I've learned over the years, like, the type of roles I would do, uh, like I play lots of prostitutes, um, sex workers, you know, um, refugees. And the thing is I'm quite happy and honoured to play those roles. I don't think there's anything, but it's, as I said, like the context, the way they're written, the voice they're given, all these kind of things is what mm. now I wouldn't, I wouldn't say yes to. Mm. I, I just, some things come across my desk and I was like, absolutely not, you know. So I've learned that um, and, you know, I've played so many of those roles. I feel like now I have um, and also and it's great now that, I, that I'm more focusing on writing because it doesn't cost me anything. I can go, no, thank you. It's easy for me to say that but for other gigging actors, like that's their livelihood. They've spent mm. 20 years or whatever building that and f- for them to have to turn down the majority of roles because they don't they don't want to perpetuate racist stereotypes or tropes yeah. or whatever that is, that's a big burden to put on those people, you know. So I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a t- 
tough trot still. There is a lot of change happening, but um, just got a long way to go and, and I think people underestimate actually how far we have to go. So in that shift from acting to writing, although you still do some acting, I guess in the context of your, your answer just before, like how was it being and a writer that's now a person of color, a woman, and Asian. Like, I'm just interested in the ways in which that has changed certain things, but maybe you're still noticing kind of similarities. Mm. And um, mm. I think there's, like, lots of really interesting conversations about what it, like, what it means to be a POC writer in Australia mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the kind of content that people expect mm. you to be writing and putting out, um, the kinds of characters this sorts of stories um yeah so I'm just like interested if yeah there's kind of parallels or how things have shifted in that transition for you Mm, when I first um started working as a professional writer I was like oh my god this is so good like I'm not a meat puppet anymore I gotta say people listen to (laughs) sometimes you do feel like a meat puppet as an actor um and I was like this is great and people want to know what I um, I have to say, and and that's your job. It's like, what do you have to say? How are you going to say it? What are you choosing to put in there? What are you choosing to omit? Like there's a lot of power in being able to literally write those stories. Um, but, of course, there's the burden of that and the responsibility um, because, yes, you know, I've done so many initiatives and diversity initiatives and, like, all those kind of things. Um, and so... I feel like there is like a demand and there is like a really thirst um, for our stories, which is, of course, wonderful, but of course, you know, there's that can be quite problematic as well. So, you know, the big shift was that I actually was like, oh, people will listen to me. Um, but to an extent, like way more as, as a performer um because you're in those conversations earlier like as an actor obviously like people been working on projects for three to six to ten years before you come on board so they really unless you're famous really don't care what you got to say about your little role (laughs) but I'm in those rooms now where we're talking about you know that from scratch but um I feel you know before I was saying I didn't have enough Um, agency as an actor and then as a writer I feel now that I have this opportunity to say something I have that agency but that in itself I do feel like there is a weight to that whether you know some look some writers don't think that everyone's so different I feel like there's a weight to that because the things I choose to write about are still very linked to my identity let's just say that um, being a woman, being a person of colour, being a Korean adoptee, all those kind of things, I do write about that. And, you know, some people, POC writers are like, I don't want to write about that. And that's fair enough and that's great and you shouldn't have to at this time in my life. I'm really still interested in exploring those things and I feel like there's so many things that aren't out in the world yet and that I would like to see out in the world and I would like to be a part of that. So I am interested in writing those stories still, but yes, they come with a certain responsibility and burden that, you know, this industry, um, even on the writer's side, is still very white and it's still very kind of traditional in a lot of ways. So you're right, sometimes I come up with actually quite similar things than I do with acting. I go, oh, you know, I feel a little bit compromised now because, um, you know, I well, and also it's my job to speak up 
isn't it? Like if I'm if I'm the one there that's the only Korean adoptee and we're writing about Korean adoptees, well, of course I'm going to mm. feel a responsibility to say something. So just navigating that space is, is really interesting. It's like I knowing where to really push and knowing where just to let things go because, you know, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this a lot too, exhaustion, if you fight every single battle, you'll run out of steam and you won't it's hard to make it like years and years and years into a project. So I think I'm getting wiser about, yeah, what to fight for and what to let go of. And it does feel like quite a, a big burden at times, <laughs> more to, sometimes more than others. I'm curious too, um, as a writer who writes on issues that are very close to your heart and perhaps stem from certain identity-specific positions. But you also are writing fiction. I'm wondering if, as a writer, you get people kind of trying to mine you for the truth of, like, your story? Because I feel like that's maybe another issue among um, writers that are you know, from marginalized backgrounds that, yeah, you can write a memoir. That's great, because we all want to know <laughs> your stories of marginalization. But we also want it to be true versus... Yeah, we also want to see the fictional worlds and the, you know, things that you can create. So I'm just wondering if um, if you've had any of that kind of pressure or curiosity kind of like. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess my answer is both as in sometimes I felt a need using the word performing monkey instead of meat puppet this time. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got some respect for my own industry. <laughs> I've heard that, that term, meat puppet. Is that a, it's an acting, no. Never. <laughs> Have you, Ryan? Look, I don't know how many people use it. <laughs> I'm sure other people use it. I haven't just come up with that. I'm sure I'm not that smart. <laughs> yes, like you're just there. Yeah, you're, you're a piece of meat and then you're saying the lines you're delivered. It's very visual. Yeah, it is. <laughs> distracted me <laughs> sorry <I'm- laughs> to be honest and I think and this is look and I'm saying something positive look here we go is <laughs> I I look I have had that before um especially in, in little workshops and things like that as I said I've done a lot of initiatives and things like that and there's a lot of that going on but to be honest the people that I've worked with more recently um, and that I work with, as I said, with Mark on KBox and then Catherine Fry is my um, story developer and producer on um, a TV series that I'm writing. Actually, I found, and maybe I'm just lucky, with the people that are closest to me in development that they've actually gone, yeah, let's talk about, you know, how you feel and all that kind of stuff, but have really encouraged me to go, to move away from my own story. They haven't been like that <laughs> invested in mining it and being, you know, vampiring off it. Um, so I feel like I haven't, you know, that's been really great for some projects really close to me. I haven't been working with people that have been really doing that. I feel like it's more when it's like really quick, chats and meetings people are very interested in just hearing about your trauma or whatever that is um you know in those kind of smaller uh, uh, like workshops or something but I guess the flip side of that I just kind of want to bring up is that 
And I really love that. I love like, you know, well, you know, talking about an experience I've had or someone else has have had and then going, so what is really happening there? Like what is the essence of the thing that you're really interested in exploring, you know, of that situation that you just talked about? It might be to do with like, you know, a moment where um, you realise your partner doesn't understand you you know what I mean like whatever the actual situation was around that maybe that's that's what the nugget of the thing you want to explore is and then to start riffing off other possibilities around that thing like what are other ways where your partner could really not understand you or something like that so we normally use it as a jumping off point to then just go what's fun what's exciting what's devastating what's really gonna (laughs) really Mm. gonna you know um surprise us the audience ourselves so but sorry the thing I was going to say on the flip side of that is that I've actually found a movement in some situations where there's actually a movement to separate yourself from your own experience and and I understand what you what they mean because it's like you need to separate yourself and they say be objective all these kind of words and I personally feel like this is just me as a creative that I can't separate myself. I can um, do a lot of self-care. I can manage it. Um, You know, I, you know, see a psychologist. I do all these things to make sure that I can manage all the things going on and also have an artistic practice and it doesn't kind of um, compromise my health, physical and psychological. But I feel like sometimes that move to go, oh, just separate yourself. Just be objective about it. Um, what I'm saying, I guess, is sometimes it feels quite dismissive or like you're like, well, I can't just compartmentalise myself. I'm not like a little robot, like I wish, you know, and I feel like you need a respect and everyone's different. Some people can, but I think people just need to be aware, like it's a very tricky space. So if you're working with people on stories that are close to them and stuff like that, you also have to acknowledge that they won't just always be able to separate themselves. <laughs> from these things and I think that's also something that people um, forget, yeah. I guess on that note of uh, you mentioned that you're working on a TV series now, Is there, do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm developing, yeah, TV series. I have been for the last couple few years now. <laughs> yeah look and with a broadcaster and with um Vic Screen they're called now um we're quite far along development now and you know I'll mention that um Ryan um most recently brought on to be um a consultant um really to That's read strong work yes yeah, strong <laughs> work to read the script and for us to have a great chat about it <laughs> which was so, which was wonderful um, to do. And so, yeah, we've been working on that for a few years. It's, a again, Korean adoptee protagonist, but it's very much like K-Box is in the comedy drama space um, as well. But this is probably more comedy, which is, gosh, writing. Sometimes I'm like, maybe it should just be a drama. <laughs> maybe it should just be a drama because I, I guess I'm finding, you know, with comedy, uh, you know, comedy is subjective anyway, but to deal with such an under, underrepresented experience in TV, mm. like how many TV 
have uh, a transracial adoptee protagonist, like the son that's part of the ensemble, but to have a transracial adoptee protagonist, a Korean adoptee protagonist, and it's at the centre of the story. Like, I don't know if you two know any TV series that are based on that and that it's not a supporting character or someone. So, look, I, that's, again, I feel like, oh, crap. And the comedy is like, you know, to make, to really, I think I'm, what I'm really trying to do is get the heart. Comedy, 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 but also make sure that I do, uh, in my own little way, get to the heart of that experience or the essence of, of that experience and the complexity of that um, in a very short six half an hour series like mm. quite a <laughs> like oh this is this is quite a difficult task <laughs> but um look it, it's great and it's fun and it's a comedy and it's like it's, it plays a lot of dating rom-com tropes and tries to subvert stereotypes and you know it's quite ambitious for a small little show <laughs> um we'll see <laughs> yeah. we'll exciting see. You've got to try. You've got to try these things, you know. That's the thing I was complaining so much before I started writing about, oh, there's no good this, there's none of this, people don't write this, this is problematic. And now, I, and now I'm like, well, put your money where your mouth is and now I'm trying to do that and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, I see. I'm going to keep going, you know. Mm. There needs to be more, 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 more. Can I ask, um, okay, maybe a prickly question actually around right. what, like when, it. so when you take, um, yeah, a Korean adoptive protagonist and you take like the transracial adoption experience and turn it into like bold comedy, right? Do you sometimes also have to be like, be very self-aware when you're, for example, taking uh an experience of like say an adoptee being whitewashed for example or having some kind of internalized racism themselves mm -hmm. which is something that you you know that you, you kind of explore a little in k-box right like do you have to be like just i don't know super self-aware and and careful sometimes when you're whitewashed ourselves or, I guess. Or, or, or yeah and then like taking that and making it like making it a joke of it or like I don't know I just yeah it's hard yeah yeah it's like so like I can't look I do have those moments where I'm like oh my as I say oh my god this should be a drama because I won't get in as much trouble <laughs> Um, I won't get cancelled. Um, no, I think no. It is. It, that's as I'm, I'm joking, but it's it's really hard. I mean, when I go in to write, and when I'm brainstorming, I just try to like throw caution to the wind. I'm like, what would be the most interesting thing to happen here? And then sometimes I look back over what if it's in a story room or with my developer, I might go, oh, actually, I think that's extremely problematic. I just saw what we wrote. And mm. but I feel like it's that balance with going there, just like treating yes. it like it's just a normal story, whatever that means, and like coming up with these offers that you know this would be great to happen next, or the character should be more like this, and then step back. And sometimes I do step back and I go, I don't want to do that, you yeah. know. But I feel like you have to keep going 
out and in, into the weeds, out bird's eye view. You have to keep doing that um, and hopefully you get some sort of harmony with that because if you just do one and not the other, yeah. well, it's a bad show either way. Like it's too cautious. It's like mm. and also why not just write an article? Why not, not just, but as in like to spend four years of your life and millions and millions of dollars because TV is expensive. If mm. you did just want to do a doco, if you did just want to, you know, Right, like I could write an opinion piece or, you know, or something more academic, you know, like, but it's a TV series, it's entertainment, so, and that's the medium we're working in. So, you know what I mean? Like, mm. but what you're saying is something that I do wrestle with and at certain times I feel, no, 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 we got this. And other times I'm like, what are we doing? I do think, I do, so that's the honest truth. And I think if you're not thinking that, you th yeah. <laughs> probably got a problem. Mm. Um, so I don't have the answer apart from, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, to a much, like at a much, much, much smaller scale, like on the podcast, I feel like I personally, I don't know if Ryan feels this way, but I personally feel like sometimes if I'm not slightly uncomfortable and by my own vulnerability, then it's maybe it's not that interesting, you know? I agree. Just a little, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I to you. How do you oh, yeah, feel? I'm always uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> You're a true artist. <laughs> well, no, I definitely didn't say that. <laughs> but, yeah, being uncomfortable can yeah. teach us yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And I think also I'm wary of things that have developed definitive answers mm. like that's the I guess with the comedy that's one thing sometimes I'm like what is this saying and then I kind of look at it I go I'm not quite sure and I don't think the protagonist is sure and I feel like someone else is really certain and then they're not certain and I think hopefully if you have characters that also are wrestling with that but in in regards to the story um, of the journey they're going on I think that's even a way to make sure the character wrestles, yeah, in a complex way with whatever their journey is to mirror what I'm wrestling with, what we're all wrestling with, and we don't know what's right or wrong. We think this is right and then all of a sudden, actually, it's wrong. We thought, you know, this would help us. Actually, it's not. So I think as the show we're making is hopefully doing that. That's, mm. I guess that's how I think we might negate some of those things. But, look, you can't. You can't ever really, you just, you know, some someone's going to be offended by the show or I haven't done my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just was wondering if you could share a little bit about now, you know, six years after um, writing K-Box um, and you know, like say over 10 years um, after your like birth family reunion. Yeah, I'm just curious like where you're at now, like like just currently or even just today in your own kind of journey and, and Yeah, well, today I feel pretty good. And that's also though because I'm talking to you lovely people. <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel uh, like it's been – such a, you know, and I always say this, and we, and 
we all like the roller coaster ride and you know all that stuff um going through the maze it has been that it's such a, a cliche to say but it has been and so you know some days like just two days ago um I had the thing where I was like this is stupid I'm not ever writing about adoption I'm never ever writing about being an Asian woman I'm never writing about anything that I've ever experienced I'm not going to write it I'm like well what are you going to write about if you're not going to write about anything you've ever experienced that's going to be um tough but I was just so like over and I'm over being adopted and I'm over having to talk about being adopted and I was like <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you know, and all the time and effort I've put in. And then you start, then, you know, you can go down the martyr route of like, you know, it doesn't pay off and, you know, <laughs> whatever that is. So that other day I was like, oh, I just was like so over it. And I was like, is it worth it? And as we are talking about before, my parents are going to hate me just because of a stupid made-up show. You know what I mean? That's one slither of like, you know, and as if or like how I feel about adoption, there's so many other thoughts and feelings I have. And then what I'm going to, I'm going to like compromise my relationship with my adoptive family for a play. <laughs> so, so I think like my relationship to adoption and how it impacts on the rest of my life has always been fraught and it will continue to be. But today I feel good because it's like, you know, we keep saying like, I guess I mean it and you guys mean it because you've got this show that I do think there's merit in, you know, sharing with your community, with one other person, with lots of other people, aspects of your experience and not only your own but, you know, other people's and kind of I think it all comes down to connection and feeling connected. Like some days, like the other day when I was having my hissy fit, I felt very isolated and alone in my journey and then you know like today and talking with you too um and you know knowing you guys as well personally and you know knowing the journey little bits anyway of the journey we've all been on and yeah so I guess I'm saying yeah I feel good today because it feels like we're building something and something that will continue continue to build after us and you know so I feel like that's that's a good place to be in um, yeah. So thank you too. <laughs> thank, thank you. Ra. This is so much fun. Also, I just have to say, it's like, I kind of love speaking to guests who also have an Australian accent. That's just like, I feel like, oh, it's, like it's just like fine. <laughs> more Aussies, more Aussies. <laughs> K-Box opens at Melbourne's Malthouse Theatre on the 2nd of September. For tickets, visit www.malthousetheatre.com.au. And a special note to any Melbourne-based intercountry adoptees listening, there's going to be a special K-Box adoptee takeover night on the 9th of September. Keep an eye on our socials for more information coming soon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. <laughs>